Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the Is Ohio Still a Swing State edition. This week, we're talking about closing arguments in Ohio's surprisingly tight Senate race, why a local judge finally ruled on a three-year-old lawsuit, what we can discern from the tea leaves of early voting, and some new numbers on abortion. Joining me today is reporter Jesse Ballmer. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. And if I sound a little different, that's because I am coming in remotely from the Delaware Bureau of our team. Uh, I have some sick kiddos at home and I'm trying not to infect the rest of us ahead of election day. And happy birthday, or by the time this runs, happy belated birthday. Yeah, so I'm home with sick kids on my birthday. It's awesome. Our first topic is J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. The two men who want to be Ohio's next senator made a final pitch to voters this week during a town hall event hosted by Fox News. The setting definitely favored Vance, but it was a chance for Ryan to reach the voters he's been courting throughout this election, registered Republicans and those who supported Donald Trump. So, I mean, Jesse, do you think like that was a smart move? Yeah, I think these are the voters, as you said, that Tim Ryan is trying to reach. This is a Fox News forum, which was, you know, generally more favorable to J.D. Vance and the questions he got kind of reflected that. There was one part that kind of went after Vance for this group that he had that was supposed to be looking into addressing the opiate problem in Ohio, but really didn't tackle that very well. So other than that, this was an arena where Tim Ryan was asked some pretty pointed questions, but he's trying to get him in front of the type of voters who would watch Fox News. Yeah, and he, he even got a little bit of a, a booing on some response to January 6th. But I mean, he's trying to make the case that certain things should be outside the bounds. Like even J.D. Vance called the recent attack on Nash- Nancy Pelosi's husband disgusting. So it was really interesting to watch him, Ryan, sort of navigate questions about the economy and inflation and the things that, you know, may be really driving a potential I don't know if it's a red tidal wave, more of like a small red crest this election. Yeah. And I think past elections in Ohio have shown that uh, Democrats need to do more than just turn out voters in your three C's, like your Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland. You need to start reaching into areas like the Mahoning Valley that used to be a stronghold for Democrats, but has gone increasingly Republican in recent years. Or you need to get those voters along Lake Erie, Lorain County areas that, you know, again, previously were easy votes for Democrats. Even going back to former Governor Ted Strickland performed very well in Appalachia. And that was, you know, kind of where he was from. So that was helpful. But there are parts of the state that have voted Democratic in the past that haven't in recent elections. And Tim Ryan needs to tap into those new sources of votes if he wants to get over the top. And we'll find out in just a couple of days whether he's successfully done that. Our second topic is gun control, specifically whether cities can write their own rules. So this week, a Franklin County judge finally weighed in on this issue. And I say finally because Columbus sued three years ago, all the way back in 2019, when Republican lawmakers banned cities and other local governments from writing their own gun laws. So Columbus City attorney Zach Klein, I guess he got tired of waiting and he sued that judge in the state Supreme Court for a lack of action in the case last week. 
And then the judge ruled this week and granted him an injunction, which is just a fancy way of saying he thinks that the city of Columbus would succeed in challenging this law because Ohio's got this home rule thing where it lets give cities and counties and local governments a lot of autonomy. And so he thinks it violates that part of the Ohio Constitution. And he finally moved on this after three years. Yeah, it's kind of stunning that it took that long to get a ruling, but you explained it well. Really, this is a question of whether cities have the right, and we kind of call this home home rule, to set their own rules about things like guns or gun control or gun restrictions. And in the past, really, it's been state policy that has led the way, and that was the expectation of the Republican legislature passing this 2019 law. But a portion of that law is what they put on hold. And that's, you know, whether cities like Columbus have the right to put their own, you know, restrictions or limits or things in place. I imagine this will be appealed. So we'll see how it holds up going forward. But it is it is certainly a change, certainly a step for those who think that cities should have a little more autonomy here. And I think this potentially has implications just beyond gun control, because in the last couple of years, the Republican legislature has taken steps uh, towards encroaching a little bit on home rule. If, if you believe uh, the city is like when you talk, they did a ban on plastic bag bans. I know that's a, a little weird to say out loud, but it was essentially that they didn't want communities banning plastic bags, that this would be a decision made at the statewide level. And there's, you know, a couple of examples like that. And there's sort of questions about, you know, how much autonomy do cities in Ohio have. So I imagine like, I mean, gun control is obviously a big issue, but there's lots of little ones like the bag bans that could potentially be impacted by this decision. Yeah. I mean, they're even looking at blocking local restrictions on like Airbnbs and Verbos. There have always been traffic camera cases, as you mentioned, the ban on the plastic bag ban. So there's just a lot of questions about how much power cities have to make their own policies. And the argument for that is each city or each area, each township is a little bit different. And maybe there might be considerations to that local area that are important. On the other side, you want to have consistency across the state. You don't want people driving from one municipality to another and not knowing what the rules are. So those are kind of the pitches on both sides. Yeah, that was a very succinct way of giving both sides of that coin. Nice job. Thank you. So our third topic is early voting. So Ohioans start going to the poll about a month before Election Day, which means we by now we've kind of got a decent picture of who's turning out where. More than a million people have already cast their ballot. And if you want to vote, you've got up until, you know, the next couple of days, even over the weekend, you can go cast your vote. But Ohioans have cast almost 50% more early in-person ballots this year than a week before the 2018 election. But absentee mail-in ballots are down across the state. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to read what that what that means. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely showing more people are interested in going to, you know, get their voting done before election day, going to their county boards of elections and making that happen. I know um, mail-in voting was very popular during the pandemic. It was basically the only way that we could vote in the primary in 2020. And so maybe I think it'll be interesting to track whether mail voting 
changes now that we, you know, are a little bit more able to go to polling locations or go to your county board of elections. But I guess everyone kind of learned how to do it in 2020. So it's good to see a robust participation in the electoral process. It's good that more people are expressing their will on these very important races, ranging from the U.S. Senate race that we talked about before to the Ohio Supreme Court to a number of statewide elected officials. Yeah, I do kind of wonder if it's a reaction to the pandemic, sort of, you didn't really get a choice 2020, even in the like, November 2020 election, that was like, before we had a vaccine, people were more hesitant, I sort of wonder if there's this like, nostalgia of like, I want to go vote, and I want to vote in person. But I don't know, we're gonna have to see. I will say one thing that I thought was really interesting is that early voting in Cuyahoga County, though, isn't quite as like up as it used to be. And that could be potentially like a canary in the coal mine for Democrats that perhaps without a presidential election with a governor's race that seems to be already over and done with, if if maybe turnout's going to be be down. And if they're if it's down in the three C's, then that's a big problem for Democrats running statewide. Certainly. I think another thing I'd point to is there was a lot of like highly publicized concerns with the U.S. Postal Service and whether mail was going to be delivered on time. And so I think Mm. maybe people are a little wary of that. That being said, the Postal Service does recommend that you mail your absentee ballot at least one week before the deadline, which of course is Election Day, November 8th. So if you're a little on the fence there, maybe just drop it off at, at the proper location. So our fourth topic is abortion. New numbers came out this week showing that the number of abortions being performed in the Buckeye State has declined since the Dodds decision. And Jesse, why don't you walk us through some of your reporting on that? Yeah. So in in one way, this isn't surprising, right? Ohio went from having access to abortion up to 20 weeks gestation or about 21 weeks and six days after the last period to being down to after uh, fetal or embryonic cardiac activity is detected. So about six weeks. So when you're restricting the number of weeks that are available for abortions, of course, the procedure is going to go down. And that was a law that was passed in 2019. Some Meg Governor uh, Mike DeWine and it took effect really within hours of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on Dobbs. So this new report offers a first look into how those numbers declined. And we went from, there were probably about 2,400 abortions that were would have been performed at like regular levels that weren't performed in the state of Ohio because of these new rules. And possibly some of those individuals went to surrounding states. We saw increases in states like like Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, but a number of people may have, you know, decided to have a birth as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the effects of those few months of the six-week ban being in place are. Yeah, and one of the questions I have that I don't think we really know yet is how many people perhaps took, uh, ordered, say, an abortion pill through the mail, either by going to a telemedicine through a doctor in another state or potentially in another country. Like one of the things that we saw in Texas after they pre-dobbed, after they passed their ban, was a rise in women saying that they were taking this route, what they call um, self-directed abortion, self Medica- I can't remember the exact name at the moment, but we don't really have that kind of data yet, right? Yeah, I, t- I spoke with um, Allison Norris, who is one of the researchers on this project from Ohio State, and she said that their data doesn't really account for that, whether someone did like a self-administered abortion. 
so it's it's hard to say and it's the data really doesn't show how many people went from Ohio to other states one can just kind of assume based on the increases in surrounding states that mm-hmm. some individuals were able to go to a different state um, it's worth noting that usually the people who can go to another state are those with the resources to to do so if you can take off work if you have childcare if you have you know the money to do so so the other thing that's worth noting is in mid September a Hamilton County judge granted a order to essentially block Ohio's law and that was extended indefinitely so there were about two and a half almost three months where this six week ban was in place and now we're back to it not being in place that's going to be sorted out in the courts going forward thing before you go. We've been talking a lot about the big statewide races here in Ohio, but things are getting nasty in these state house races. So accusations are flying in a number of close races, including one here in Franklin County and one down near Cincinnati. And the Cincinnati one has got some pretty wild accusations. It's between a Republican named Jen Giroux and a Democrat named Rachel Baker. It's for an open seat. They're both nurses, but they're accusing each other of a bunch of different things, including sending adult toys to each other. I mean, this is this has gotten like wild. Yeah, it's really worth checking out this story on Cincinnati.com from our colleague Scott Wartman, but he even was able to research who sent the adult toy. So, you know, <laughs> investigative uh, yeah. journalism. Absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely worth checking it out just for the first sentence. I'm not going to spoil it by reading it, but It's pretty spectacular. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Mansfield News Journal. That's mansfieldnewsjournal.com. Ohio Politics Explained.